if you're taking notes, title your notes, seven to ten days from victory. Seven to ten days from victory. And, uh, and your very first note that you can write down is simply this. Oftentimes we are just a few spiritual steps from an encounter of a lifetime. Oftentimes we are just a few spiritual steps. You know, every single time I pray, every time, uh, I always walk into my prayer time, maybe it's going to be two minutes or 22 minutes or an hour and 22 minutes, I always have this thought in the back of my mind, could day, today could be the day where my faith goes to another level that I didn't even know was possible. Today could be the day that while I'm praying, I begin to see God in a way that I never have before. Today could be the day. We're always a few spiritual steps away from having an encounter of a lifetime. And oftentimes, right before we have this shift, this seasonal shift, uh, the enemy comes against us stronger than he ever has. Uh, The Bible puts it this way, because of the great opportunity set before you, an opposition is formed. And what that means is anytime there is a big opportunity, real close, whether God's going to give you a new job, he's going to put a new relationship into your life, there's going to be a new healing in your life, oftentimes that's when the enemy fights the hardest. And uh, and so Jesus, uh, in the passage that we're about to read, uh, he is experiencing Uh, a lot of um, uh, warfare. People are against him. They're about to crucify him. They're about to hang him on a cross. Uh, But in seven to ten days, he's going to be victorious. He's going to go from hanging on a cross to coming out of a grave. But the next ten days are going to be excruciating. So this sermon or this message has two parts to it. Um, what Jesus was doing 10 days before he rose again from the grave and what he was doing seven days out. And in both situations, we're going to be able to pull some principles that we can use whenever we're in a rough patch and and we need to uh, have the endurance to get through it. So uh, let's let's dive right into it. This is Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read uh, a group of scriptures, um, if you will. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit more than I normally do, but uh, you can read along on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. It's in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, uh, so he's going, uh, he's going to be crucified in Jerusalem, okay, or actually just outside the city, but he's got to go to Jerusalem to uh, be heard and tried, and then he's going to be found guilty of a crime that he didn't commit. Uh, so he's going, uh, this is D-Day. Uh, this is, it's coming right down to this. So he's walking towards Jerusalem. Um, I don't know about you, if, if I knew the soldiers in Jerusalem wanted to kill me, I would be walking away from Jerusalem. He is walking towards Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside on the, on the journey and privately told them what was going to happen to him. He said, listen, he said, We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die, speaking of himself. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day he will rise, he will be raised from the dead. Then the mother of James and John 
the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Now, uh, this is one of those passages in the Bible where uh, we can just kind of read it slow because it's incredibly entertaining the slower you read it. If you read it fast, you can almost miss it. So here Jesus uh, is about to be killed. He's, He's dreading it. No doubt he's sick to his stomach. In fact, in a few days, he's going to be in a garden by himself praying, and he's going to be so full of anxiety that blood vessels in his forehead are going to be popping, and and, and blood like beads of sweat is going to be coming down his face. And and so now he's, he's going to catharsis. He's going to share this fear, this worry, this anxiety uh, with the disciples. One, because he, he wants to, and, and also because he doesn't want them to be afraid when it happens. So he looks at the 12 disciples and he says, hey guys, I'm I'm about to die. And he continues to share. Two of the disciples, they were brothers, James and John, they did something that's so mind-blowing. They were listening very carefully and then they started talking to each other alone, away from the group. And then they went and talked to their mommy. They went and talked to their mom about what they just heard from Jesus. And they came up with this plan. It's it's just mind-blowing. So Jesus just gets done sharing what's going to happen. And then James and John and their mother come to Jesus. And and the mother gets down on her hands and knees and says, I I heard the boys told me that you're about to die. And and you're going to go to heaven. I'd like to make a request. I'd like for one of my boys to sit on your right and and I'd like for the other boy to sit on your left. And it's so mind-blowing to me because here Jesus just shared, I'm about to be crucified. And it's so astounding to me. I had a a marriage and family um, counselor tell me, whether it's true or not, you don't have to agree. It's just an interesting thought that this this therapist had that everybody, this is her opinion, everybody in a nanosecond when they hear a problem the first thing they think about is, how does this affect me? And, and once I've decided in a nanosecond that it doesn't affect me, now, now we can talk about you. And so Jesus is like, I'm about to die. James and John, oh, okay, how does this affect me? All right, well, let's go talk to mom. Mom, when Jesus gets to heaven, we want to sit at the highest place of honor outside of him over everybody. But if we ask, it's not going to go well. We've seen Jesus mad before. (laughs) One time he took a whole bunch of demons and threw them into pigs. And the pigs freaked out and jumped over a cliff into the ocean. We saw him one time walk into a temple with a whip. And start whipping everything and flipping tables over. We don't want to ask. But if you ask, (laughs) if you ask, he won't get mad. So mom's like, yeah, absolutely, I'll ask. 
So they go to Jesus alone, away from the other disciples. There were 12 disciples. They, James and John show up and said, hey, hey, Jesus, um, Ma's here and she wants to talk to you. Re- really? Oh, okay. Hey, Mrs. Ebony, how are you? It's so good to see you. What's going on? Um, Master, <laughs> you're about to die and I just have one request. James and John are like, I just have one request. When you get there, can, can you put my boys, one of them on your right and one of them on your left, in the, in the highest place of honor? And then the Bible says that he looked at them, not her, them. In other words, So James and John are like, oh, we're busted. We're busted. We're busted. Because Jesus didn't tell the mom. He only told the 12 disciples. They ran home. Jesus, he's, he's ahead. Isn't it kind of a bummer when Jesus is smarter than us sometimes? Like he knows what we're up to. Maybe I'm alone on that one, right? <laughs> like sometimes I wish he didn't know my motives. This is all selfish, okay? But anyway, so he looks at James and John. He looks at him. He's like, and so he looks at James and John and he goes, you guys don't even know what you're asking for. Are you willing to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink from? And both of these boys go, yeah, You know how teenagers do that? It, it's like teenagers learn a language between the ages of 13 and 19 that nobody taught them except for the, each other at school. They learn it. They don't get any credit for it. It's not like Spanish class. It's like they learn it in the hallways. They teach each other. And, and parents know exactly what I mean. It's like, are you listening to me? Presley, my daughter, 10 years old. Go, is your room clean? That means something in teenage voice. I don't know what it means, but it's not a compliment, right? It's not something loving like, Dad, I love you. Thank you for putting food in my belly. This doesn't mean that. So these boys, that Jesus looks at them and goes, are you ready to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Yeah, huh? Just, I want to sit at the right. Make him sit at the left. And he backs up and he begins to unpack what the cup of suffering actually is. But before he unpacks what the cup of suffering is, before I tell you what the cup of suffering is, let me just take a sidebar. Because somehow or another, the other ten disciples found out about it. The other ten disciples found out that James and John brought their mother to go talk to Jesus about being the most honored people in heaven. And the Bible says they were indignant. In other words, they were ticked off. This is, they found out that they went and asked Jesus behind their back if they could have the highest point of honor and they were ticked off. Now, why were they ticked? Was it because they were so holy and righteous and humble no. They were mad because they didn't think of that. Now let's think about this. How did James, how did the disciples find out? 
that that whole thing happened. Because James and John sure didn't tell them, hey, we're going to go talk to our mom to find out if we can get the best place in heaven. Jesus didn't tell them. Jesus doesn't tell people's prayers to each other. Hey, you're not going to believe what John just prayed. What a moron. (laughs) Right? He doesn't do that. So the only logical conclusion, and I understand you're giving me some poetic liberty here, but just give it to me. Just give it to me. What I think happened is James and John's mom was hanging out with Pete's mom. (laughs) They were hanging out and just... James and John's mom was just washing the dishes, talking to Peter's mom. Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I was talking to Jesus the other day. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Evidently, he's about to get crucified. Not good. Oh, my gosh. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. Well, don't tell anyone. But I asked Jesus if my boys could have the most honored places in heaven. Oh, you did? Oh. Oh, well, that's, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> look where the time went. I got to go. I love you. Meatloaf was great. Peter, James, and John and their mom went and talked to Jesus about having the most honored places in heaven. No, they did not. I know, I know. Now you got all the disciples mad at James and John. Everybody's yelling. I can't believe. The Bible says they were indignant. I can't believe. Are, oh, are you serious? Are you serious? Here's Jesus. Um, I'm about to be crucified. Yeah, I know. This Everything's not all about you. I'm... Isn't it crazy? How so often we think about, how does this affect me? How does this affect moi? And you know, so all all this grumbling is taking place, and they're fighting. And and just write this down. This is just a sidebar. This is for free. This isn't what my sermon is about. This is just a sidebar. Three earmarks of a grumbler. Number one, a grumbler is never satisfied. Some of you work with grumblers. They're never, ever, ever, ever satisfied. You can give them a raise every single month, and they're still going to whine about something. They're never satisfied. Some of you have been friends with somebody for 15 years, and you've known them for 15 years. They've been complaining for 15 years. Does anyone have a friend like that? If you're sitting next to that person, don't point, don't point. Another earmark of a grumbler is they always have an excuse about something. If, if they didn't nail it, if they weren't perfect, if they didn't do it exactly right, if they're getting called on the carpet by their boss or their employer or their wife, their spouse, their mammy, their pappy, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They have an excuse for something. And then number three, grumblers overestimate their own importance. Do you know who I am? <laughs> Like, I don't think you realize what I do for this company. Like, if it weren't for me, do, do you know, I, 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 you clearly don't appreciate the house that we're living in. You clearly don't appreciate the fact that I do your laundry like all the time and, and I don't get paid for it. 
It just, you, you don't know. These are the earmarks of a grumbler. But th- that's just a sidebar. So Jesus responds back to James and John. He's like, James, John, you want the right and you want the left. Here's the deal. You have to drink from the cup of suffering. And what the cup of suffering is, is you, while you're on this earth, it is going to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. In fact, and he says it out loud, so long as you're on this earth, and this goes for all of us, you're going to have trouble. And if you're willing to drink a certain degree of trouble and suffering and humility, well, those are the most honored people in heaven. And then James and John back up and they're like, whoa. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I, I don't know. And you know what? They did drink from the cup. John was so humble and so sacrificial to God that he, he was actually killed for it. He, he lost his head. No, I'm sorry, James lost his head. And then John, the brother, uh, he was the last of the disciples on planet Earth. There were 12 of them and all of them were dead except for him. And you might be saying, oh, lucky guy. I don't know. I don't know if that was... It. He might have wanted to, to be third or fourth because... He spent the remaining years in exile on the island of Patmos. And if you read his letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it's all about love. Revelations, it's all about love. They finally got it. They got their their seat. They, They have their honor. And you know, in the book of Acts, it's very interesting. Because in the book of Acts... Um, they actually came and, and said something very fascinating. Um, and it was almost like they understood all of a sudden. They understood what the sacrifice was going to entail because they embraced it all the way. In the book of Acts, they, they actually celebrated the opportunity to suffer. In Galatians chapter 6, it says this, that the stripes... Their wounds were actually marks of Jesus. Let me just take a moment to talk with us as a family. Some of you have been through so much hurt and so much pain. Your father did evil things to you. Or your mother hurt you more than helped you. And financially, you've never been able to get ahead. Your health and your body... You'd give away, you'd turn down $5 million just to have a healthy body. These are the stripes. This is the pain, the bruises that that you have incurred here on earth. And and I want to let you know that when you get to heaven, those stripes that you have incurred will be stripes of honor. I went to New York City a couple years ago and uh, I saw uh, two different types of of law enforcement. I saw some guys there. Um, they were policemen and they had a little pin on their shirt because they were there on 9-11. And, and then I'd see another policeman. He didn't have that pin. And I, I'd look at the guys with the pin and, and there was just something on the inside of me, right, wrong, or indifferent, but I just honored them a little bit more than the new guy that's proud of his brand new gun. The guy that was there on 9-11 that was there, there's just something about him. It's the stripes that I've been there. Those of you that have been through some tough times, you're going through some tough times. When you get to heaven, there's stripes of honor. 
And I don't know that we are at the place where we volunteer for humility. But I just want to let you know that the people here that feel the lowest and incur the most punishment and scars and humility, you'll be honored the most. Servants on earth are kings in heaven and kings on earth are servants in heaven. So I don't know what you've been through, but those stripes are going to pay dividends for eternity upon eternity. And when eternity is over, it'll just be beginning. You're just paying the price for a very short amount of time for an eternity of honor. <laughs> Let me share uh, a few thoughts with you uh, real quickly. Um, if I can find page four. There we go. Oh, let me try page five. Oh, yes, the golden ticket. My daughter made this golden ticket. Don't you like it? See, the golden ticket is when you get to be right on everything. If I gave you the golden ticket, you get to win at everything you do. Let's say you come, you're late for work. The boss says, you're late. You're 15 minutes late. You say, yeah, but traffic, it was a Beltway A. And he's like, no, 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 that's no excuse. You should have left earlier. Go, well, hold on. Why am I arguing with you? I got the ticket and you automatically win. See, the golden ticket, you get to win at everything. See, if, if, you are, uh, if you have parents in this room and you live with your parents, your parent says, you got to be home at 10. Mom, that's not fair. I want to be home. You can get home anytime you want. You got the golden ticket. See, the golden ticket, every argument, you get to win. Every single position you want to take, you get to win. You got the golden ticket. Here's the most honored people in heaven, the people that drink the cup, is they choose to lose. They give the golden ticket away. I'm not going to try to win. I'm not going to try to be first. You ever see kids come out of class and they're running to the playground? They're all running to the swings. What are they all yelling? Me first, me first, me first. Imagine one kid going, me last, me last, me last. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. We learn. It's ingrained in us. We want to win and we want to be first. And that's the flesh fighting against us. And sometimes God puts us in a position where we can't be first. We don't get to be honored. We don't get to be treated with respect. And that's God helping us saying, hey, son, we're going to take some of that pride and ego out of you. I'm, I'm trying to help you. I love you. But you're sure not going to volunteer to be last. Let me just put an obnoxious jerk in your life to elbow you into a real place of honor. Let's give all the obnoxious jerks in our life a round of applause. Would you do that? All the obnoxious people. All the obnoxious people. The next time somebody's like really annoying you, annoying you, you just look at them and say, God bless you. You have no idea how much you're helping me. <laughs> See, there's a human epidemic. We're more selfish than what we realize. We're more selfish than what we realize. Number two, we want the gold, but we're not willing to dig for it. I was thinking, I got to this point uh, in, in the first service, and this person came to my mind. I was talking to him a few years back, and he says, look, I hate to work. I don't care what it is. I don't care. There's some people in this world, they find something they like to do. They get paid for it. They don't even feel like they're working because they're doing something they love to do. I don't care what it is. I just want to sit on the beach and drink something with an umbrella in it. For the rest of my life, I, I don't like working. I, don't, I can't stand working. Work should be a four-letter word with all the rest of the bad ones. 
Just went off and off and off. See, it's ingrained in us. We want the gold, but we're not willing to work for it. We want to have a great marriage. We're not willing to eat the humble pie. We want a relationship with God. I don't know if you're with me on this. Is there anybody here that there's something on the inside of you? Oh, man, you keep looking and you've looked everywhere, but you know in the bottom of your heart that what you crave most is to have a close relationship with Jesus. That's what you really want. But do you want it bad enough to pray? Well, let's not get carried away. We want the gold, but we're not willing to dig, with, dig for it. It's a human epidemic. These are things that we're learning in that first passage when Jesus was 10 days out. We learn about sacrifice. Little accomplishment has little, uh, I'm sorry, little accomplishment has little sacrifice. Great accomplishment requires great sacrifice. This is what we learn. It's like, wow, 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 wow. If, if I'm seven to days, seven to 10 days out, if I feel in my spirit that I'm in a tough season, but I've got to just find, find some courage to press through a little bit of sacrifice equals a little bit of accomplishment. Last point on that first section is suffering. Our suffering will be stripes of honor. Because I already talked about that. I'm going to dive right into seven days before the resurrection. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And Jesus never let anybody treat him like a king. He wouldn't let them. As soon as people started treating him like a king, he'd leave town. Now, some of us, anytime people give us an applause, it's like, yeah, I'm watching a lot of college basketball right now because of March Madness, and I love watching the coaches get interviewed. Love it, love it, love it, because they get the camera right in their face, and some of them, you can tell they wear that limelight like a silk suit. They're like, that was not Jesus. Jesus ran for it, and then he said, for one day, I'm going to let you treat me like a king. One day. He comes walking into Jerusalem, and everybody's taking off their coat. They're laying it down. They're celebrating. They're so happy, and what they're doing is they're pointing to the Roman government, and they're saying, you're going down. You guys are, I'm so tired. We got a king. He's going to come riding in here. You're going down. And they look over there to see him and they're expecting him to come walking in on a war horse like a Clydesdale, like a, like a, like a Budweiser horse, just (laughs) with a sword and spitting a lot, you know, just (laughs) they look over there and he comes riding in on a donkey. You're going down. Oh man, I was expecting so much more. There's not a more shabby animal in the barn than a donkey. I want a war horse. I want a war horse. I want a king on a war horse. So he comes riding in and they got palms out and they're like, Hosanna. And Hosanna says that you're going to free us. You're going to save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's going to save us. I don't know why you're on that. I would have given you my horse if I had. I know. Come walking in, they take their jackets off, their palm leaves are out. He comes walking in for that one day, one day on the entire, the earth that he made, he just gave him one day to treat him like a king. A few notes on this thought, on this scene. 
Victory always comes in disguise. You don't know when it's coming. If you're in a tough season right now, you don't get to go this time on Tuesday, I'm out. It doesn't happen. In fact, when Jesus comes in and he's starting to move into your life, most of the time we don't even recognize it. In the meantime, it looks like things are getting worse. If you were born um, from uh, earlier than 1990, raise your hand, 1990, 95, no, uh, I'm sorry, later, later than 1990, 1990, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand, 1990, 1990, or, okay, uh, actually, let me go back a little bit for 1980, probably 1980 earlier, go, 85, all right, so you, just close your ears, because you're not going to know who this is, <laughs> Bob Ross, the painter on TV, <laughs> Yes. Bob Ross would do some paintings on TV, and right in the middle of painting, it looks like he just did something stupid. It's like, oh, you just messed the whole thing up. Let me show you a clip of our man Bob Ross. There he is. Give him a round of applause. Now, now let's just listen in, and I'm going to comment, okay? Watch this. What a beautiful picture. Well, we don't care if a little bit of this mixes with the dark colors underneath. We don't want to mix a whole bunch. But a little bit is all right. What so are you doing? Laying up here like he's it, just it, laying it, up here. Like it nice looks like he just messed up. Come around, come around, come around. You got to make a decision. Where does it go? Maybe it comes all the way up through here. We don't know. What? Whatever uh, you want. Whatever. See, now it's picking up some of that black that's underneath. No, it's that's just getting worse, dude. We wouldn't see pure white. We don't want pure white. That would be disturbing. You just messed the whole thing. It would look just fine before you did all that. And a touch of white into it. And I'll just lay in the dark areas down here. A little bit of this blue and white for some nice shadows. Look at that. Now then. Messing the whole thing up. Get into some smaller areas here. Use a little bit of the midnight black. And in my world, I'm going to have a big rock that lives right there. Ah, I'm starting to see it now. Big rock. Strong rock. Yeah. Comes right on down. Oh, yeah. That looks good. That looks good. I see it. Here's another big stone that lives. He's a genius. Comes out. I can. He's a genius. Have you ever watched a full episode? Raise your hand if you ever watched a full episode. Like, he'll have a beautiful canvas, and all of a sudden take, like, a black paint and go, you're like, what did you just do? You just messed up the whole thing. Have you ever thought that? Those of you who say, you just messed up the whole painting. And then the next thing you know, about 10 minutes later, it's like, dude, that is awesome. Can I just tell you, that is exactly how Jesus operates. When we look back and we say, man, our king came riding in on a donkey. Deal with it. (laughs) Deal with it. Deal with it. Absolutely. Deal with it. But at the moment, it just looks like it was was crazy. Point number two, victory doesn't need a war horse. 
You know, that donkey was sitting there waiting to be used. It was just sitting there. Jesus sent the disciples in ahead of him. He said, there's a donkey over there waiting. It's, it's tied up against a post. Go over there and get it. Now, if you were around that donkey before the disciples came, that donkey looked like it was being completely ignored. But it wasn't being ignored. It was reserved. Can I just say, if you are a single lady in this room, I'm only talking to you for the next 15 seconds. If you want to get married, and there's a lot of single ladies that's like, thanks, but no thanks. But the ladies that want to get married, can I just say, you're not ignored. You're reserved. Those of you, now I'm talking to everybody, those of you that are waiting for God to do something great and you keep looking at everybody else, imagine being that donkey in the middle of the street. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. He's not being ignored. He's being reserved. Your promotion that God has for you, stop looking around saying, oh, he's getting blessed again. He's getting blessed again. No, no, you're reserved. I walked into a restaurant the other day and they said they had no seats. I'm like, what do you mean you have no seats? I'm looking at a sinking five top right now. Put us there. And I looked a little bit closer and it had a little sign on it. It said reserved. That spot is reserved. It's not for you. Well, I want to sit there. It doesn't matter if you want to sit there. It's reserved. I just want to let you know, if you are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, I just want you to know, you're reserved. You're not ignored. You're reserved. See, God doesn't need a war horse. And the last and final point, Isaiah, if you'd come on up here, victories are prioritized. See, when, when you're seven to day, 10 days out, and you never know if you're seven to 10 days out, but you can just feel like, oh, I'm so sick of being in this season. I just want to let you know there's certain victories that are more important to God than other victories. Like those Jews wanted the Roman government to be cast down and destroyed. Well, that didn't happen because Jesus was more concerned about the sin in their life and saving them and making sure that they could go to heaven. But where's that Roman government right now? Oh, they, they got overthrown centuries ago. So it did happen. It just didn't happen in the order that they wanted it to. Can I just say, God's order is a perfect order. Now, you might be pointing at something. I need this done now. God's, God can fix what's happening to you anytime he wants. But what's happening in you, he needs your help for that. Let me tell you something that God finds annoying. God finds it annoying so much that he actually ignores people who are this way. He literally ignores people that are this way. If you're prideful or arrogant, grumbler, just full of pride, and he literally, not only does he ignore you, He opposes you. Think about an offensive line and a defensive line crashing up next to each other. Just bam, they slam in each other. That's what God does. He slams, he sets it up against you. It's in the Bible. It says that he opposes the proud. But the people that come to him and say, I I don't know if you're going to pull me out of this situation in seven days or in ten days, but I do know that you're going to pull me out. I, I just, I, I just, I just know. 
And it's so hard for me to look around and see other people being used and other people being blessed. But Lord, by faith, I'm just going to choose to believe, even though it's hard for me, I'm just going to choose to believe that you have me reserved and I'm not being ignored. And that I don't need what I think I need. I don't need a war horse. You don't need a war horse. I don't need what I think I need. All I need is you. And I'd rather be in the trench with you than on a mountaintop without you. And I love you. I just want to let you know that when you are waiting for a breakthrough, it will get worse before it gets better. The nighttime is always its darkest before this, right before the sun rises. Jesus hung on a cross before he ever rose again. See, who you believe in determines everything. Who you put your trust in determines everything. And if you're living on your own, you're playing craps. You're casting lots. If you're backing up and you're saying, I've lived enough life, I don't want to live alone anymore. I need you in my life to go back to that country song that Carrie Underwood sang. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) 